On this episode of Blue 58, we can stop worrying about whether or not the Packers are going to go undefeated this season because the Buccaneers pretty conclusively ended that quest. They comfortably handled the Packers and raised quite a few questions about this team in the process. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Well, that happened. That was not great. Your Green Bay Packers got taken apart by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that does happen from time to time. Sometimes you just run into a bit of a buzzsaw, and the Packers certainly did that in Tampa today. We've got quite a few questions about this one. But before we get to those questions, let's just talk a little bit about what happened. I was sitting on the floor of my family room during the second quarter, watching the Packers fail to pick up a first down on the fourth consecutive drive. The fourth drive in a row in which they seemed to do the exact same thing. Run the ball wide, get tripped up by one of the Buccaneers' extremely fast linebackers, kind of diddle around on second down, end up throwing the ball away, and then try to take a deep shot on third and long. That's not exactly how it went, but it seemed like they were just doing the same thing again and again and again. While that was happening, my son, the unofficial co-host of this podcast, was playing on the floor with his toy trains. He loves trains. Loves trains so much. Trains are the best thing in his life right now. He will watch trains on TV, He will play with trains. He will play with his grandpa's train set. He loves trains. But in the train set we have in our house, there is a tunnel that he can't quite get one of the train cars all the way through. So he's sitting there on the floor while the Packers are going through this, putting the train car into the tunnel. And it can't get all the way through. And it makes him angry. So he looks to me, Dad, can you get this out? He doesn't say it quite that eloquently. He's 15 months old, but you get the idea. And I say, okay, I'll get it out, but don't put it in there again. Ten seconds later, it's back in the tunnel. We keep doing that again and again and again. You keep doing the same thing, keep having the same problems. And that behavior is more or less acceptable for a 15-month-old. He doesn't quite understand yet That if you do the same thing again and again and again, you're not magically going to get a different result one of these times. But when you are the Green Bay Packers, you should know better than that. Moreover, you should be prepared for the things that you know are coming. The Packers this season, and maybe in the Lafleur era in general, frequently seem surprised by things that they know are going to happen. Whether it's Alvin Kamara getting the ball as a receiver a lot the Buccaneers having a great pass rush, the Vikings liking to run Dalvin Cook. Take your pick. They get surprised by the obvious thing, week in and week out. And it's very troubling to watch because when the offense isn't going gangbusters, it's frequently a thing that ends up with them losing the game. I am hesitant to draw sweeping conclusions from one game, but that is a trend that seems a little bit alarming. Normally on these post-game podcasts, we do a few good things that happened, a few bad things that happened, then we go on to what happens next. We're still going to go what happens next, but I have a really hard time drawing anything good out of this game. The Packers started well, but from then on, from early in the second quarter through the end of the game, 
there was very little redeeming what happened. So instead of talking about the good and instead of just fixating on the bad, let's just ask some questions about this Packers team and about the game that we saw unfold. Because that's what a loss should do. It should ask you, send you asking questions. What happened and why and how do we help it? How do we stop it from happening again? So let's ask those questions. First and foremost, is 4.25 p.m., 3.25 p.m. if you're in the central time zone, the worst kickoff time? Yes, it absolutely is. It Ru- ruins two parts of your day. It ruins your afternoon and your evening. It just, it, it, not great. And if the game goes longer at all, then you're well into the evening anyway. No 425 kicks. Unfortunately, the Packers don't have another one until late in the season. That is the smallest in the laundry list of annoyances about the game today, but I do not like the 425 kickoff. To the game itself, you have to come out of this game wondering or asking yourself, is this a blueprint on how to beat the Packers? That idea has come up a lot, I think, since probably the 2011 loss in the playoffs. Is this the book on Aaron Rodgers? Drop seven, get pressure with four. That's the recipe then. Sometimes it seems like that's the recipe now. I don't know if this game is a blueprint on how to beat the Packers because most teams don't have a defense like Tampa Bay does. But I think there is a sense where you can take some lessons out of this game and wonder if there aren't bigger concerns about the Packers. The Packers seem like a little bit of a microchip team. Extremely high performance piece of material. You can do a lot of interesting things with it. But if you get a, get a, get a grain of sand in there, everything can, comes apart. Everything just goes off the rails entirely. The Packers had a really bad sequence in the second quarter. But it shouldn't have ruined their entire game. But it seems like it did. Aaron Rodgers throws a very uncharacteristic pick six. They have another interception on the next drive. Suddenly Tampa goes from down 10 nothing to up 14 to 10, but the Packers have the ball back again and they just it's like their entire game has just come apart. That leads me into my next question. Is this a trend for the Packers under Matt LaFleur? In the year and a quarter that he's been on the job of actual seasons or so, The Packers have only lost five games. Three games in the regular season last year, the playoff game, the playoff loss to the 49ers last year, and then this game today. Of those losses, four of the five have not been competitive after halftime. The loss to the Chargers last year, the Packers got handled in that one. Both losses to the 49ers, I don't need to tell you about those. And then today, the other team gains, gains control and just hammers the Packers and it's over by halftime. I don't know why that seems to have happened so frequently to LaFleur. But it's a storyline that bears watching, I think. Especially because some of the things that he said after the game today sounded awfully, awfully familiar. Said he wasn't happy with how the team practiced. Said the focus seemed a little bit off said they were a little bit too high on themselves. That was Aaron Rodgers. He said that. But it seems like this is a recurring kind of archetype for losses under Matt LaFleur. And I don't think it's a preparation issue 
Well, it's, I mean, it, it may be a preparation issue. I don't think it's like a knowing what's, what's coming issue, but it, it seems like the same sort of issues are popping up again. It's not that they can't prepare well for games. We know that they can do that. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's not that they can't prepare for games and put together a game plan and stuff like that, but occasionally they do seem to work themselves under LaFleur into situations where they get out over their skis, the intensity isn't there in practice, so on and so forth. I cut them a little bit of slack because they got a bye week at a really odd time, but also they didn't really get a bye week. Packers were not allowed to leave northeastern Wisconsin. They've been sitting at home in Green Bay for two weeks. I'd get a little bit stale too. But that's a coaching point. You know that's going to be coming. You know this is an unusual season, and you got to deal with it. So why couldn't the Packers adjust? Well, there is that microchip thing. Seems like the Packers have a very specific thing that they want to do in games, and if you get them off of that, they can't get back on schedule. They're doing the same thing again and again and again. But I think if it's, it's fair to ask, whether or not they're doing that because they lack talent on offense. It seems pretty clear that the Packers' offense relies on scheming people open, putting people in positions to succeed through play design and things like that. If you end up in a situation where your play design and game plan isn't working, how do you counter that? if you don't have a high level of talent on offense. It's almost like they should have added something there this offseason. I think that's a fair question to raise after a performance like this. However, responding to one listener question we got after this game ended, is this the worst quarter, the second quarter of today's game against the Buccaneers? Is this the worst quarter? Is that the worst quarter in Packers history? No. Maybe I I wasn't able to verify this. They may not have given up more than the 28 points that they gave up to the Buccaneers today, but they've had much worse games on bigger stages. Here, I'll give you two. First, 2004 playoffs at home in front of 71,075 fans at Lambeau Field. The Packers lose 31-17 to to the Minnesota Vikings and give up 17 points in the first quarter. The game was 17-0 before the Packers even got on the board. Now, they didn't give up 28 points, but they got down 17-0 at home in the playoffs to the Minnesota Vikings. That's about as bad as it gets. Would also submit the Packers' 2002 playoff loss to the St. Louis, no, 2001 team, excuse me, uh, to the St. Louis Rams, the then St. Louis Rams. They ultimately lost 45-17. to That's the six-interception Brett Favre game. And there was a span in there straddling the third and fourth quarters where the Rams had two pick sixes in the span of like four drives. And Brett Favre also had a fumble in there that the Packers recovered. But that's, those stretches to me are both worse. This is week five in the middle of October, week six in the middle of October. If they do, did this in the playoffs, I think you might have, a, might have a conversation. But we should temper that a little bit. This is a bad game. There's a lot of season left. However, 
I think it is also fair to ask, and this is really the real question, are the Packers paper tigers? They hammered a bunch of teams in weeks one through four and now have been hammered once. Calling them a paper tiger would imply that they are not really as good as they seem. So in answering that question, I lean towards no. I think they're more like a top-heavy juggernaut than somebody who's fake good. If everything's going well for the Packers, they will absolutely destroy you. Ask everybody they faced weeks one through four how that went. But if even one thing doesn't go so well, they seem about ready to implode too. They seem a lot like the Death Star or maybe an AT-AT from Star Wars. They can really make things difficult for you, but they have a couple key weaknesses that can be their undoing too. But is this all, all the things that we saw today, a long-term concern for the Packers? I think this is a hard maybe. On the one hand, this is the kind of team the Packers are likely going to end up facing at some point in the playoffs. The Buccaneers seem like they're a pretty good team. And right now they're on top of the NFC South, or right in the thick of it. With the Saints still faltering a little bit, they've got an, an inside track at, uh, at taking that division. There's a real, uh, real chance that the Packers end up pay- playing the Buccaneers again. But there's also a when-you-play-them aspect to this. Going on the road after a bye in which you've been stuck at home for two weeks is not an ideal circumstance, especially for a team with a lot of young, big-personality-type people. If you played Tampa in Green Bay in January, would this be a different game? I tend to think yes. They still might not beat the Buccaneers, but I also don't think it's 38-10. to If you played the Buccaneers heading into the bye instead of coming out of it, would things have been different? I don't think it's 38-10. to So there is some of that too. But the Packers are going to have to prove that they can beat elite defensive teams. Because that's also been a big part of their undoing under Matt LaFleur. The Chargers were not necessarily an elite defense overall, but they had an elite pass rush. The 49ers certainly were an elite defense. The Buccaneers sure look like one. And the Packers haven't been competitive in those games. That's a big concern. So how do the Packers make sure that this doesn't happen again? This is where I struggle with what the Packers are right now. To me, the Packers seem like something of a finished product. How much can they really improve? Do they have any young players who are making significant strides, becoming better versions of themselves? With Alan Lazard out, kind of seems like no. Robert Tanyan is headed that way, but I don't think he's going to be a big, like, playoff game-defining player for the Packers. He seems like a B to B-plus player at his ceiling. That shouldn't be a knock against Robert Tan, and he's just not like an all-pro level tight end. Aaron Jones is obviously very good. Aaron Rodgers can play at a very high level. Today he didn't, but he's proven that so far this year he can. 
but it feels like the Packers are pretty close to their ceiling. They can get better on defense as they reintegrate Kenny Clark, as the rest of their complementary pieces come together a little bit. But it doesn't seem like they're going to make enormous strides. So I'm not sure there's a lot the Packers can do other than just hoping they execute better, practice better, whatever, to avoid something like this happening again. They're going to be vulnerable to things like this. That's not necessarily as big a knock against the Packers as it sounds, though. Every team in the NFL is vulnerable. It's a matter of taking advantage of those weaknesses. Three player-related questions coming out of this game. Matt LaFleur said that he doesn't think David Bakhtiari's injury is serious. That remains to be seen. He said something similar about Devontae Adams about a month ago. And that kept him out for two and a half games. But what happens if David Bakhtiari has a short-term injury? Or a long-term injury, excuse me. The Packers seem well-positioned to counter in the short term. They've got Rick Wagner, who can step in as a swing tackle. Don't know if I love him on the left side as much as on the right side, but still, he's at least serviceable. They seem mostly settled elsewhere on the offensive line. And that's probably good enough to get you through a month or so while David Bakhtiari works through whatever this injury may be. Long term, that gets to be a little bit tricky. Ideally, you wouldn't have to have Rick Wagner starting a tackle long term. The counter to that, though, is who really has three starting tackles anyway? Yeah, it would really be bad for the Packers if if David Bakhtiari couldn't go for an extended period of time, a month, two months, whatever. But who really has three starting tackles anyway? And that may give you an opportunity to really see what Yash Nyman can do. I think if it comes down to a long-term sort of situation where they're needing a starting left tackle for the rest of the year, maybe you really want to see what you have in an athletic upside player like Mr. Nyman. Second player-related question is this. Is this it for Josh Jackson? I think we're in, if not now, when territory. And we actually devoted a little bit of this, or a little bit of the pregame podcast to this very question. He got the opportunity to start on the outside with Kevin King out. And it did not go particularly well. Made a nice play early, but the Buccaneers seemed to be able to find where he was throughout most of the rest of the game. We won't know the final snap counts until tomorrow, but I didn't see a lot of Kadar Holman early. But if this is what Josh Jackson can give you at this point, I'm pretty well set. I think I've seen what I need to see here. The Packers have bent over backwards to help Josh Jackson find his way in the NFL. They tried to do a lot of things with him in his rookie year, and he did all right. They kept trying to do those things in his second year, and it didn't go so well, and so they kind of just shuffled him off to special teams for the rest of the year. Now they've reduced his role down to one thing. They want him to be an outside corner. That's it. And if he can't do that, what redeeming value is there there? I think I'm good. Finally, how concerned should we be about Preston Smith? This may not be the best um, circumstances in which to evaluate Mr. Smith, but I'm getting pretty close to high-level concern about Preston Smith's immediate short-term ability to help the Packers here. 
I will accept the idea that in an off season that was unlike any we've ever seen, some guys were going to need longer to get themselves back into playing shape, uh, into actual real life full speed football shape. But we're a month into the season here, and he is having very little impact week in to week out. There should be more out of Preston Smith at this point in the season. There are no noteworthy injuries there. We're at the point where he can't say that he is not in a situation where he's, he's not doing what he does best because Kenny Clark is back. He's back more on the outside with Zedaria Smith. It's just not producing. It's not there. And he's pressuring the quarterback at a lower rate than he ever has in his career. It's big concern time. And I'm significantly concerned about what Preston Smith is going to bring to the Packers. Where do we go from here? So the Packers get to get back to more conventional kickoffs from here on out. The next three weeks, they've got three noon kicks and a primetime game. Next Sunday, they head to Houston to take on Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Prior to the Buccaneers game, I would have been pretty confident about this one. Now I'm not so sure. I think there's a good chance that the Texans could jump up and bite them. I don't think they have the elite defense that the Buccaneers did, but there are some pieces there worth being concerned about. I think it's fair if you come out of this game against the Buccaneers very concerned about where your Packers are. There are some times, even preparing for this podcast, where I thought I was going to be there myself. I'm fairly significantly concerned. I don't know if I'd get to very concerned yet, but while this is just one game, there are some trends here that I think are worth being a little bit more concerned about. Agree? Disagree? Give me your thoughts. I want to hear them. Find us wherever you can, on social media, via email, or uh, commenting on YouTube if you happen to listen there. Love to hear your thoughts about the first loss of the 2020 Packers season. Uh, As always, if you enjoyed this show, if there's someone you think would benefit from it, go ahead and share it with them. Uh, That's going to help us continue to grow this conversation around the Packers and ultimately help everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.